So that was, that was great. That was fantastic. Let me say that again. Okay. <laughs> if you got a Bible, would you turn to Matthew chapter 6? <clears throat> We're going to get started and look at uh, further into our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus is calling his, his disciples up to literally the side of a mountain where he is sharing what life in the kingdom looks like and the kind of lives that his followers are meant to live in light of the kingdom of God and to be rejecting the kingdoms of this world and all the influence that is on us. Right? So we're often more formed by the kingdom of this world opposed to the kingdom of God and what God, is, and through Jesus Christ, is calling us more and more is through his spirit to walk with him and become more and more in line with his kingdom, right? That's what we're about. That's why we're studying this. And this series is called Redefine. Redefining your life around the kingdom of God versus the kingdoms of this world. Going to Mexico, uh, stepping out of your comfort zone, um, just going into a poor neighborhood in this, in this community, that everywhere around which we live, seeing need, opening your eyes to the needs around you uh, will help do that. But we're gonna go to the word uh, this morning and look at Matthew 6, one through eight. It's in your bulletin. Uh, if you got a Bible, turn there. And then verses 16 through 18 also. Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father who knows what you need before you ask him, Pray then like this. Then verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You guys, hypocrisy is so easy to see in other people. Hypocrisy is so easy to see in other people, and it's so difficult to see in yourself, which is ironic, because that is the definition of hypocrisy. <laughs> hypocrisy, it comes from the classical Greek word uh, for actor, which means like to wear a, a mask, right, and to pretend to be somebody else, and that's fine in Hollywood, that's fine uh, in a musical, it's fine, you know, acting is a great art and, and is a gift from God, but when we live our lives with, you know, symbolic masks, pretending to be somebody that we aren't actually, then that is a level of hypocrisy. 
Hypocrisy is the space between your public persona and your private person, and then the pretending, the part is the pretending and your motive to be somebody that you actually aren't. There's a pastor in Michigan named Kevin DeYoung, and he says this, the sin of hypocrisy is not that we are more messed up than we seem. I hope you know that. Hypocrisy is not believing in a high moral standard and yet still being messed up. That's true of all of us, right? Instead, it's this. It's the sin in using the appearance of your own goodness to cloak deeds of evil in your life. The sin is in thinking that who others think you are matters a great deal more than who God knows you to be. Point, though, this is just true. If, if you go to lunch today and you just stop somebody random at the restaurant and say, what do you think of Christians? <laughs> Unless they are one, what they're going to tell you is three things. There's three words, three descriptors. They are self, they're judgmental, and they're hypocrites. This, this truly is largely our reputation in, in this culture, and this should break our hearts the fact that people think, when they think of followers of Jesus in, their cult, in this culture, they think that we're judgmental, that we're self-righteous, and that we're hypocrites should absolutely terrify us and break our hearts because this is exactly the opposite of what the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, should produce in his followers. And I've got great news for you, though. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet and you hate hypocrisy and you hate the hypocrisy you see in Jesus' followers, I have great news. And if you're a Christian and you're tired of the hypocrisy, I have great news because Jesus despises hypocrisy far more than you do. I promise you, far more. He despises it. And when he had this chance in the Sermon on the Mount to just lay a foundation for what life in the kingdom looks like, calling his people to a greater ethic of what love and kingdom living should be, he took on hypocrisy straight on. And the main point I want us to see this morning, usually I've got you know, three or four points, but today it's really just one point that we're going to focus on all around the narrative of this text, and it's this. Hypocrisy cannot long survive in a heart that's growing in the gospel. Oh, we can survive for a minute or two because the truth is we're all hypocritical at some level. We, we all are. But the more, the greater degree that you're living with the, the good news of Jesus Christ at the center of your heart and the center of your motivation, hypocrisy really just can't live there. And yet, this is the number one thing that we are described as in our culture. So I would say we have an enormous problem, friends, of living with the gospel at the core of our being as a church. And when I say that, I don't mean New Valley, because I just pound this stuff into you every day. And, and I, I want to say, as a community, I think you do live this out. But, but as we talk about the body of Christ in the United States today, there is this huge disconnect. If you live with the gospel at the centerpiece of your life, hypocrisy just cannot be bred there. It cannot live there. This disease, this bacteria, it just won't multiply there where gospel humility is being produced. And yet, this is the thing we're known by. So that tells me the church of Jesus Christ in this day and age is not living with the grace of God as the centerpiece of our lives. And that should break our heart. That's what we're gonna talk about today. <laughs> now, in... Matthew 6.1, Jesus lays out uh, an overarching verse that kind of describes 
uh, sort of his uh, thesis statement for the rest of what he's going to tell us this morning, and it's this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, let me stop there for a second. Jesus is not saying beware of practicing righteousness. In fact, he says your, your righteousness has to be better than that of the Pharisees and the scribes. Jesus is not against practicing righteousness. He's not against praying, fasting, and giving. Uh, this is the issues he's going to address. Spiritual formation, spiritual discipline, following him, living a righteous life. Jesus is for these things, but what he's talking about is the level of hypocrisy that can enter in. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them, seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Jesus says the difference between the hypocrite and the righteous person is all about the audience. It's who you're performing for. It's, it's who you're being seen by. Are you being seen by others and being driven by that and motivated to please others, being a people pleaser, being a, someone that needs, needs everyone to notice you and your good deeds? Or are you being motivated by being seen by the Father who sees you in secret? This is what Jesus says. Now, he talks about giving, he talks about praying, and he talks about fasting as examples of practicing your righteousness before others. And he tells us, hey, don't do it this way. I want you to do it this way. And we're going to describe, we're going to look at these verses and all three of these different issues side by side. And I want you to compare and contrast, but I want you to be good Bible students this morning. And I want you to listen for repeated phrases and words and ideas, okay? Because whenever you study any literature, particularly the scriptures, you want to think like what's being repeated, what's being said, what, what is the emphasis here? In Matthew 16, he 6, 2, he talks about giving. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. They would throw a little parade sometimes when they would give alms to the poor. Can you imagine? Uh, like music's blaring, trumpets playing, pounding a drum, walking in the street saying like, we're gonna do this, we're gonna give to the poor and you're wearing your religious garb and, and it's, it's definitely drawing attention to yourself, right? He says when you don't do that. They do that, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Then he talks about praying, 6.5, Matthew 6.5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Matthew 6, 16 about fasting. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces. Jesus is using humor here. That their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward that they may be seen by others, that they may be praised by others, they have received their reward. Jesus says, don't be like these hypocrites. They trumpet they, and they do all this stuff in order to be praised by others. Don't be like the hypocrites, drawing attention to yourself when you pray in public, that they may be seen by others. Don't, don't be like the hypocrites who look sad and hungry while they're fasting, like, oh, I'm fasting today, you know, I'm starving. He said, no, like, anoint your, your face, and we don't do that today, but like, you know, wear your best, put on your makeup, take a shower, shave, like, look good when you're fasting. Don't walk around going, I'm starving today, I'm not eating for Jesus today. You know, like that's, he says, that does not please God. Do it in secret. 
The hypocrite gives praise and fast in order to be praised and seen by others. This is the problem. It's their motive, wanting to be praised and seen by others. And is there a reward in that? Is there a reward in that? There is. Jesus says, yeah, there's a reward. You'll be praised by others, and you'll be seen by others, and that's your reward. That's it. God is not impressed because hypocrites are pursuing righteous acts and reputation more than actual righteousness, which is a matter of the heart. Then he says this, okay, don't do that, but do do this. In Matthew 6, 3, about giving. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. About praying, Matthew 6, 6. And when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you in fasting. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your right hand should keep a secret from your left hand. As your right hand is like building a house uh, for the poor in Mexico, or the right hand is writing a check, like good, some good thing and for the poor or whatever, don't talk to your left hand about it. Like, hey, look what I'm doing. You know, it's like, what's he saying? It's like, don't even talk to yourself about this. Keep a secret almost from yourself. And we do this, right? And it's, hey, I'm really being righteous right now, you know, uh, uh, doing this good thing. And, and Jesus says, don't talk to others about it. Don't trumpet a horn to others. And don't even do it to yourself. Like, hey, aren't we being so righteous right now? Pray in your room with the door shut in secret. Put on your favorite clothes. Take a bath. Look nice. Don't talk about your fasting. Just do it in secret. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, I want to stop and pause just for a second and say, does this mean we should not pray uh, in public, that we should not give at church, you know, and pass the plate? Does that mean we should not uh, fast at all and let nobody know? Like, you know, uh, I don't think that's Jesus's point. In fact, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your, your good deeds uh, shine as a light, like a city on the hill before others. What he's saying is this, it's your motive, man. What's driving you? Are you doing what you're doing to get praised and seen by other people? Or, or are you mainly being motivated to please your father who sees all things, public and private, and rewards you? Now, the righteous person gives and prays and fast in secret in order to please and be seen by the father alone, ultimately. It's an audience of one. Find, find for other people to praise you. Find for other people to notice. But ultimately, what's driving you? What is motivating? Are you a people pleaser? Are you being pleased? Are you being driven by pleasing the Father? Jesus says, be pleasing to the Father. And is there a reward in that? Yes, obviously. There's eternal reward in this. Maybe not in this life, but in the kingdom to come, there is great, great reward. And there's this phrase that he repeats three times, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Watch me, daddy. Watch me, daddy. If you're a parent, how many times have you heard that phrase? If you're a 
you know, watch me, mommy, watch me, daddy. But especially, I hear children say that constantly to their father, watch me, watch me. The other day, uh, Tyson uh, joined us at a baseball game for our son, and he had two of his little ones. That Tyson and Emily have four kids, and two of the little ones were with him, uh, and Isaiah, their youngest, and Nora, their daughter, and all of a sudden, uh, Nora, I heard Nora say, watch me, daddy, watch, watch, watch. And then she said it like 500 times. <laughs> and then Isaiah, who can barely talk yet, because he's not even two, just says, and like garbled England, watch me, daddy, watch me. And he's like doing, he's just like jumping over this. And he's like, you know, watch me run. This kid is the slowest person on the planet. And he only run, runs with one arm. He like, it's really, it's adorable. But like, you're gonna have speed training, man. I don't know, like the kid's slow. But he keeps saying, watch me, daddy, watch me. And, and Tyson sat there like a good father over and over going, oh, Isaiah, that's amazing. That's incredible. Keep going. You know, like you're so fast. He's not, and it's like, but he will be, and it's like, wow, watch me, watch me, watch me. I have this friend, Tony, that I've known for five years. He's a fellow dad at our school, and he used to be my boy's uh, junior high baseball coach, Tony, and he's a man's man, uh, Tony is. Like, he knows everything about baseball. That's cool. He's a coach. He's got a beard. He does CrossFit, and this guy, this guy's a dude, right? He's a man's man. He went through a really painful divorce, really hard one. He's a single dad, and he became a strong Christian uh, during the divorce, and, and like a man who really pursues God. This guy is a faithful single father. Like when, whenever his kid is playing in any sport, even if he's, if he's not starting, he will drive all the way across the city to be there. Now, the other day, Tony and I are standing along the first base line, along the fence, and standing there. We've known each other for a long time, so we're just chatting and watching the game, and I heard Tony say something that I've heard him, if I've heard him once, he's, I've heard him say it a couple hundred times. When he saw somebody in the field do something, and he said, I see you. And he said his name also, I see you, Joe. I see what you're doing, Joe. Now, the thing about that that's important is this. Like, you go to a baseball game, of course I see you, but he's not talking about the kid that just got the, the, the at-bat that, like, everyone saw. Joe had done something that nobody else really caught. Only the, the truly trained eye, the true scholar in baseball, would have understood and caught. That's Tony. I see you. No one else really saw it. I see you, Joe. Now, he's been doing that since I've known him when my boy was in sixth grade. When he would say, like, when some kid would, I see you, Carter Brown, I see you, I see you. What he's doing is this. See, baseball is an amazing sport, and I know it's sort of like losing popularity in our culture, but here's what I love about baseball. Every kid on that team gets a chance to be a hero if they're in the lineup that day. Nine players. They get to go at bat, right? And they get to stand there and have to face that pitcher down. Even the pitcher has to face the pitcher down except in the lame American League where they don't have to, right? <laughs> They got to face him down, and, and they get a chance to put the bat on the ball and make a play and be the hero for the day. Every kid out in the field has to be prepared and ready at every at-bat because the ball may come to him, and he gets a chance to make a play in front of everyone and be the star. And everyone sees that, and they applaud, and they say, I see you. Everyone gets that chance. But the thing about baseball is that it's a game of nuance. 
And there's all these details going around. Like that kid that's on first that scores when somebody else gets a single or a double, the reason he got in is because he's a great base runner and he already had an amazing leadoff and he knew how to hit those bases and fly in and listen to the coach coaching him on third base. And that's the thing Tony will praise. I see you, Joe. I see what you just did. No one, everyone's applauding the double, but I saw your base running. You wouldn't have gotten in without that effort. I see you. I see you. I see you. So I said to Tony, Tony, dude, I love it. I love it when you tell the boys I see you. And he just smiled. And I said, you've been doing that for the five years I know you. I've noticed it. Like, it's incredible. I go, Tony, you know what happens when you do that? He goes, what? And I go, you are building a foundation under these men's feet, these young men, these young boys. Everyone, every young man wonders, am I a man? Am I okay? Am I doing the right thing? And you're noticing the little thing, the, the thing that's going utterly unnoticed. You're saying, I see you. I saw that. And that young man is saying to himself, like, a guy like him, a dude, a man's man notices me, saw me do the small thing, because the small things in life actually really matter, and they usually go utterly unnoticed, but that dude saw it, and he called it out. You can just see these guys when he calls their name. Like, I, he not only says, I see you, he says their name, right? Their chest pumps out a little more, you know, it's like. <laughs> building a foundation. Building a foundation. Jesus is calling us towards a righteousness from the heart. And to live a righteousness from the heart that largely no one else is going to ever see. You see, the hypocrite does everything in public on display, but in private is really a totally different person. But the truly righteous person is not bragging in public, but in the closed door, behind closed doors, when no one else is alone, when you're just talking about your motivation and your thoughts, no one's perfect, so they have to repent a lot, but they are being changed from the inside, and so they are actually pursuing Jesus when the door is shut, nobody else sees it, right? So when you fight anger because of the gospel, this is true. The Father is looking upon you and he says, I see you, Joe. When you fight lust because you've been convicted by this and you heard the Sermon on the Mount where it says, hey, if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery because an angry heart is a heart of, of murder and will lead you into places you should not go. It's a, it's a murderous, abusive heart. It will do danger to people. Like The angry heart, beware, because that's the, the motivational seat of your life. And you say to yourself, I can't live as an angry person anymore. I've got to, I, because of the gospel, I've got to grow out of that. And the Father says, I see you. I see you choosing not to take that second look of lust, even though that's totally how you're bent and you would normally. I see you not going there on, the, on that website, even though you've been there before. I see you. Because of the gospel, I see you. When you decide to forgive someone, when you pursue a life for others, when you're poor in spirit and humble at heart. When we forgive someone from the heart, no one else may see it, but the Father says, I see you. When you're faithful to your spouse year after year, when you choose not to hate your enemy, even though they've slandered you, cursed you, said awful things about you, maybe even done abuse to you, and you choose to forgive them in spite of all that, the Father, the Father says, I see you. And we get this wrong-headed perspective in our hearts that when the Father sees us, all he sees is our sin 
and our brokenness. And he says, I see you, but I see how guilty you are. I see how shameful you are. You know, we have no trouble believing that the Father sees us, but does he really say, I see you and I love you. I see you and I know your name. I see you, Scott. I see you, Joe. I see you, Cindy. I see you, Emma. I see, you know, I see you and I call you out by name and I am encouraging you. I see you and I love you. Of course he sees all the problems too and all the difficulties and all the brokenness, but does he see us, call us by name and say, I see you and I'm encouraged and I love you. He does because of Jesus Christ and because of what God is doing in your life through the gospel. I read this article in the New York Times this week and it's called The Real Problem with Hypocrisy and it's actually research, it's based on research in the Journal of Psychology of Science where they're studying the issue of hypocrisy and they said this, we contend that the reason people dislike hypocrites is that their outspoken moralizing falsely signals their own virtue. And, and the article was fair. It was not just talking about religious people. It was talking about all people in society and saying hypocrisy is a real problem. But their research found something very encouraging, which is this. You can have the highest moral standard you want and you can even tell people, hey, I, I believe in this moral standard about sex, about life, about any issue, but if you have a humility towards that standard and say, look, this is, I believe, God's standard in the world or just a moral standard, but I don't necessarily live up to that. I just believe that's the standard. As soon as you signal to the rest of the world, I'm not necessarily keeping this perfectly. I believe the standard, but I'm not perfect in it. Immediately, the group quit seeing you as a hypocrite. Now, that's good news. Do you think that's good news? I'll tell you why it's good news, because we have a resource as Christians that I don't think too many other people have. Because of the gospel, we should be the most humble people on the planet. Not shameful, not guilt-ridden. The people that are driven by humility, the dr- people who live out a sense of humility. This is, this is how we can live. Why? Uh, it says in, in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, for it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Our righteousness doesn't come from ourselves. Our righteousness, Martin Luther says, is an alien righteousness. It comes from outside of ourselves. Like To become a Christian, you have to say this. Like There's just some first steps to becoming a follower of Jesus. You have to admit and agree with God, starting in Genesis 3, that the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say it there, but they're kicked out of the garden. Death process begins. Surely you'll die if you eat this fruit, and they do. You agree with God, the wages of sin is death, and that's been my life. You agree with God, like, I've been rebelling against you. My problem is not that I'm sick spiritually, I'm dead spiritually. I'm, I am beyond hope without your sovereign mercy. And that's the first step in walking with Jesus. But the problem is we leave it there, we make that step one, but that same heart disposition of humility towards God and the gospel needs to be your millionth step in Christianity, Amen. Not just the first step, your hundred thousandth, your two hundred thousandth, your millionth if you have a million steps in Christianity. It keeps walking in the gospel. The gospel is not just the milk, it is the meat. You love much because you've forgiven much. You're righteous much because you've been forgiven much. And you have your heart transformed because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. 
And I want you to know this. This is just how so good the gospel is. Many of you have been longing to hear the Father, your earthly Father, say to you, I see you, I know you by name, and I love you. And some of you will never get that chance. Some of you will never even meet your earthly father. Maybe he's already passed away. Some of you have been rejected by your earthly father, and he, he will perhaps never validate you. Some of you just, you just live with this gnawing sense of I'm unseen, nobody sees me, nobody knows, what, nobody knows my heart, but the Father knows. And you say, yeah, but I think when he sees me, all, all he sees is shame, all he sees is my sin, all he sees is my brokenness. I'm telling you, no, in Jesus Christ, the Father sees you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus and he sees what God has done and, and, or sees what the Son has done for you and he sees the robe of Jesus Christ's righteousness over you. We sing about the blood of Christ all the time, right? And I know that's kind of gross. We sing, there is a fountain filled with blood. But because of the shed blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven. Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have to walk in that, but here's the reality. Like when, when the father sees you, he sees the righteousness of his son. He smells the aroma of his son. He sees the beauty of his son. And he sees you through that lens, not the lens of your brokenness and sin anymore. Why? You're now the adopted sons and daughters of God. Your, your standing before him is utterly changed. I am such an imperfect father, you guys. I am such an imperfect father. But there is really, honestly, nothing my boys could do that wouldn't make me love them. There's, there's nothing. I may get disappointed. I may need to discipline them. I need to like walk this way, not this way. But there's nothing that could cause my love for them to change, my heart for them to change. And if that's true of me, a sinful earthly father, how much more true is that of our Heavenly Father? And if you want to quit being a hypocrite, live in that. The Father sees you, and He sees it all, but He's loved you and embraced you because of His Son, and now the Father, in spite of your brokenness, in spite of your sin, in spite of the shame that's been committed against you and that you've committed others, He says, I see you, and I love you, and I'm for you. I see you, I see you, I see you. That can change you. That can destroy hypocrisy in your heart and your life. That can, that can revolutionize the way the church is seen in America today. Are you tired of being labeled a hypocrite? I am. Because honestly, because the gospel, I don't think that's true of me anymore. I'm still a hypocrite a little bit. That's not, that's not what utterly describes me anymore because that judgmental spirit is dying in me because of the gospel. It just is. One of the things I love to do is delay the moment between somebody meets me and hears that I'm a pastor. And it's not because I'm ashamed of being a pastor. I, I really like being a pastor. But I meet someone and I want to keep as long as possible. Minutes is great. A day or two is better and weeks is even better. Why? Because as soon as they hear I'm a pastor, let alone a Christian, their first thing is like, ah, okay self-righteous hypocrite, right? I'm tired of that. 
But I find, like, if I can, if you just get to know me a little bit, like, before you find out I'm a follower of Jesus, before you find out I'm a weirdo pastor, then, like, hey, like, maybe we got a chance of you understanding that I actually love you, care for you, want a relationship with you that isn't just based on judgment. Friends, we get a chance in this culture, in this day, in this age, to be different. New Valley, this is what we're about in your neighborhood, in your city, at the coffee shop, at the restaurant, in your family, wherever you are, you get a chance to blow away stereotypes because of the gospel, because it's that good. Jesus Christ has set his love and affection on you. You cannot live in the goodness of that and not be humbled by that. And humility is what destroys hypocrisy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we praise you for Jesus who was never hypocritical, who was perfectly righteous at all times, that just loved his neighbor perfectly and loved you with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you that there was no hypocrisy in him, just holiness and even humility. And oh, Father, may you, your church, your bride, be known no longer by self-righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we no longer be known as judgmental because the judgment fell on the Lord Jesus, not on us. We deserve the judgment, but we didn't receive it because Jesus received the judgment. And Lord, may we never be known as hypocrites because the good news is meant to humble us. Oh, may that be true of us. In Jesus' good name, amen.